God bless you. You may be seated. Glad to see you here. Glad that you're here. I think we're hitting our 25. Hey, we've just kind of found out that, you know, we can also have 25 in the, uh, the balcony. So we're going to maybe increase things a little bit. Uh, we're working on trying to start things in July. So hopefully I'll have an email out this week to kind of keep you uh, aware of that. Um, a big decision uh, in terms of how we're going to be advancing in terms of uh, attendance at church is going to be on, I believe, June the 21st, and, and hopefully that will open things up a bit. I know in northern Ontario, they are allowing congregations to meet at one-third of the capacity of the building, so that's not bad. We can have maybe two services on a Sunday and be able to minister that way, and so that's what we're preparing to do. Uh, but for now, this is what you got. I don't know if I'm supposed to apologize for that, but uh, this, is a, this is a good thing. And, and we're talking about the uh, fruit of the Spirit, and, and I'm not kind of going in order. I'm just kind of going as the Holy Spirit says, hey, use this one this week. And uh, I hope you don't mind that. Uh, last week, we kind of learned that the fruit of the Spirit is actually, in the Greek, a singular term. Fruit, not the fruits of the Spirit, the fruit, the singular and, and so I kind of made the suggestion that the, the part that you feel, if, you're, if you feel you're in number nine out of 10 in love and, and three out of 10 in patience, then probably the fruit is exhibited at number three in your life. So it, it's not so much as, as a result of the cultivating of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the fruit is not the imitation of Christ, but it's the duplication of Christ. So these are kind of some important things to learn. So I want to talk to you today, today briefly, if I could about the second fruit that is mentioned in scriptures in Galatians chapter 5, and we'll be reading the, the fruit of the Spirit, um, which is called joy. And joy is kind of one of those elusive, uh, interesting words that uh, we have in our vocabulary. And it, it is one of those things that has a, almost a different definition uh, by the world that we live in and the faith that we have. And... Uh, so I asked myself this question before I got started, kind of sitting there with, a, with an empty page. I guess now it's an empty computer page. I'm sitting there with my Microsoft Word on a blank page. Maybe that's the best way of putting it. It used to just be a piece of paper you wrote on, right? And I'd ask myself, when I say the word joy, uh, what's the analogy that comes to your, to your brain? If I think of a joyful situation, what would, what would that be? What would that look like? For some people, it would be, hey, a, a picture of a person uh, winning the lottery. The 649 Lotto Max, $50 million. And you look at the card, and all of a sudden, all the numbers match up. And you say, oh, that's, isn't that great? That's a wonderful thing. What, what's for supper? No, you wouldn't say that, would you? You would stutter and, wow, I can tithe. Okay. See, that's a subliminal pastor thing there that I just put in. Um, or or perhaps, perhaps it would be um, you've lost something of value, something that is very dear to you. And many times stuff like that isn't just a wallet or something like that. It's something of value, something that you can't replace with just money or something. And somehow it has been misplaced and you don't know where it is. And then somehow in some way uh, you find it. And you thought, I'd never ever had this before. Now I've got it again. It means everything was something that was given to me by my grandmother's grandmother. And it's been in the family for so long. And, and all of a sudden there's this overwhelming joy that comes. That something that you thought was lost is actually found. Or, or maybe it's, it's a scene of uh, uh, meeting someone at the airport. And, 
and uh, you hadn't seen him for a while and it's someone very close to you and, and you just, you're sitting there, sitting there at the airport and the, the flight is, is on and you kind of see that they've landed, that you're here and this anticipation builds up. Have you ever had time where you've kind of, haven't seen someone for a long time and you're just looking so forward to seeing them and hugging them or maybe just from social distantly saying hi to them or whatever way we have to do it these days. And there's just joy, joy in reunion, uh, whatever the case. Or maybe you're at the doctor's office and the doctor thought that there was something really bad coming in. And so you're sitting there in the doctor's office and you go into the doctor and the doctor said, well, it ends up that what we thought it was, it wasn't. And so you're at perfect health. What's the picture that you draw? Kind of an interesting thought. What is the picture that scripture draws when we talk about um, joy? So turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. I do have it up on PowerPoint uh, for those of you who just kind of want to read along with me. And it says, um, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desire. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in touch with the Spirit. So Paul talks about this. And he talks about this, about the fact that there is, there was works of the flesh. There is like fruit of the flesh, so to speak. And, and so he says, you know, we, if we're going to actually be living like Christ, if we're going to be living the life that Christ loved, the, the, the fruit of the Spirit, everything that was embodied in Christ... We need the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to walk daily uh, in that. And so he mentions love. But the second one is peace, or love, joy, peace. The second one is joy. And so I kind of divided this up. I divided my knowledge or my, uh, my thinking up. And I thought I would talk about the source of joy. If you're going to talk about joy, you've got to kind of figure out um, where it comes from. And it's at that point we all of a sudden begin to realize that there's a difference between the way that we see joy and the way that perhaps the world will see uh, joy. Here are some differences. The world looks at joy in terms of moments. You have a joyful moment. Something, Something takes place. Whereas scripture sees joy as a disposition. True joy is something which is hidden within. But Worldly joy is something that kind of is on the outside. Worldly joy is intermittent circumstances, one thing to another. Where there's one circumstance that happens that makes you happy, whereas, whereas uh, joyful or godly joy is inspired, an inspired sensation. Therefore, therefore, you can have joy in the midst of terrible situations. Hard to have joy, worldly joy, in the midst of a funeral or anything to that effect. There's a, a difference. One is a, I have down there a physical response. It probably should be a physiological uh, response. You know that if I had a doctor and I came in and I said, explain to me joy, a, a real smart doctor probably would say, well, what happens is uh, there is some type of stimulation which happens, which brings about a chemical, and that chemical kind of mixes with another, and the body reacts in such a way, happiness and joy, they could probably explain it away through chemicals or through body, the way our body works. But the joy that scripture talks about will, is not a physiological response, but a soul response. It is a soul response as a result of the Spirit of God cultivating uh, that particular character in us. Earthly joy has an expiration date. Spiritual joy does not. 
Godly joy is sweeter. What do you mean by that? Well, there's a few songs. There's, there are a few things in scripture. Your, your love is sweeter than wine, it says in Song of Solomon's 1 verse 2. Also says, I forget, I think it's in 2 Thessalonians where it says, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's sweeter. Spiritual joys are more pure in that they're not tempered with, with some of the things that may make us joyful in the world. It is something which comes as a, at a level of purity. And one is based on a temporal perspective, while the other is on an eternal perspective. That's kind of where you get the term, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. Well, that's not the way godly joy sees things, is it? So there's a reason. The, the question I'd ask myself is, can a, can a Christian exist without joy? Have you ever met a joyless Christian? Yes. Well, how is that possible? Well, a person who is a joyless Christian is a person who tries to seek their joy through earthly matters. If, if you're trying and if you, you love Jesus with all your heart, but you seek your joy through whatever you have or whatever circumstance you're going through, the same results will happen to you than it is with a person who doesn't know Jesus because you're resorting to the same level to try and gather your joy. So it can be a, a joyful Christian. But here's what I have written down. Joy is a volitional feeling arising out of a sense of God's favor. Bible uses the term joy 200 times. Really, it does. Um, C.S. Lewis. Uh, hey, do you know C.S. Lewis? Anyone kind of heard of C.S. Lewis? The most classic book by C.S. Lewis was uh, Mere Christianity. Uh, but that's not the only book that he wrote. He wrote another classic book called Screwtape Letters. He wrote The Problem of Pain. He wrote a book on miracles. He wrote a book called The Four Kinds of Love. But he wrote a book called Surprised by Joy. And what he basically said, one quote that he has in that book is that joy is the business of heaven. Can you imagine you know, being in a place where joy is the surrounding and emanating emotion at the time? Really? That, that really talks about things. It comes from the Greek word kara. And it comes from there we get the, the English word hurrah. So it is kind of like a spiritual hurrah, an exuberant reaction to circumstances. It's not just an attitude of the character. Joy is not a matter of position, but of disposition. And joy is absolutely necessary in a world full of depression, full of discouragement, and um, full of self-pity. You stop and think about it. We're living in a world where we have every reason to be happy. We've got all the things that we can. If you stop and consider, we stop and compare our world than perhaps the world that was 100 years ago, the, the world that was a few hundred years ago. I think we got it pretty good. I think we probably have more than any other people in human history. You know, they used to have to have this kind of board where they washed clothes, scraped it along a board, and, and then from there they kind of rolled it out and they hung it out. And if it was a rainy day, you wore wet clothes or whatever. You had to spend most of your time just kind of taking care, keeping yourself alive. We have absolutely everything at our disposal. But yet we have no joy. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting 
Someone said this, Christian joy, the Christian has joy in review, joy in possession, and still greater joy in prospect. So, so there is a source to joy. You know, if you're going to talk about joy and understand what joy is about, you need to realize that the source that we have is different than perhaps what the world has. But there's another part, which I'll call the strangeness of joy. Now, the strangeness to joy is me is that joy almost seems like one of those oxymoron terms. You know kind of what an oxymoron is, you know, like cold heat or something that, that seems to be opposite. You, know, you talk about joy, and you're supposed to be thinking about happy things. But if you take a look at a number of scriptures and the context with which they are written, you kind of see that word joy tied in with tough events. You just start with Nehemiah chapter 8 verse 10. In, in, in the process of, of them going through a difficult time, the, the statement is made, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Well, why did they use that term, joy of the Lord is my strength? Well, because what they were going through was not a very strengthening time. It was a hard time. I need strength, right? Um, take, take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, and he's speaking to a persecuted church. And he's giving them advice on how to live in the midst of temptation, in the midst of persecution. And he all of a sudden comes in, in uh, chapter 1, verse 8. He talks about joy, but he calls it this. Joy, unspeakable, full of glory. James, when he starts his book, doesn't even get to, oh, to, to verse 3. Verse 2, he says, Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. You know, not count it all joy when everything wonderful is happening to you. No, count it all joy. Joy is supposed to be the response when you go through difficult times. That just doesn't make sense. It's kind of an oxymoron. Do you not see that? What about Hebrews chapter 12? You know, Hebrews chapter 11, the faith chapter, inspiring things of what had happened and God had moved through faith. But all of a sudden you read verse, or chapter 12 uh, and it says this. Hopefully I'm kind of I'm kind of digressing here and getting into the wrong spot in my scriptures here. Oh yeah, here it is. Hebrews 12 verse 1. Therefore, since you are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw, let us throw off everything that hinders us. The sin is so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. The race that is marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand in the throne of God. In the view of God, the process of the cross was an element of joy. That's kind of, you kind of see that. You kind of see how, how scripture and, and how they determine joy seems to be a little bit different than the way we kind of normally see things. There's something, something to be said about that. During the writing of the scriptures, the original hearers of the epistles, the people who originally the letters were written to, were going through some of the toughest times in history. And as they're reading these letters in the church, and here's a letter from Paul, what does it have to say? Well, they're going through times where perhaps they'd lost family members. Some of them were, were, were in prison. Some of them had lost their jobs simply due to the fact that they decided to walk with Jesus. And that's when they begin to talk about joy. And a time when they needed the fruit of the Spirit the most at that particular time was the time of the New Testament church, the adversity that was going on. 
You know, it was a staple in the New Testament church. Look at how many times in the book of Acts you hear the word joy. In the book of Philippians, you take a look. Why did they write Philippians? Because Paul was trying to instill the attitude of joy in the midst of persecution. That's what the book was about. It was one of the main purposes that um, Paul writes the book. How do you know that? Well, in four chapters, he mentions the word joy or rejoice 16 times. 16 times. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Kind of interesting, don't you think? So there is a significance that brings me to the, the last part, which is the significance of joy. That it's a resource for something that we daily employ in our life, that it's a recourse, something that we use in our darkest hours, that it's a remedy. It's a remedy for depression and despondency and anxiety and fear and all the stuff that maybe we are experiencing at this very moment. Some of the things that you are going through as a result of COVID-19. Well, what's so big about COVID-19? Well, we really don't know what's going on. Kind of scared. I lost my job. You know, I... I, I there. I don't know what is going to happen. I don't know what the future is going to be. Well, in the midst of that, there's a remedy. There is the, the fact that there is a God who gives us something to be happy about in the midst of it. That it's a reminder of the power, the kindness, the hope, the future, the source of strength that we have in God. That it's a revelation. That you will win people. You will win your friends. You will win your brother, your sister, your spouse, whoever is close to you who needs Jesus by the exhibiting of joy. Otherwise, you're just like anybody else. And you're not just like anybody else, are you? I like Romans chapter 14, verse seven. It says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy who wrote the book, Lord of the Rings, talks about a term in, in writing, uh, which is called uh, eucastrophe. <laughs> What's a eucastrophe? Well, it's a catastrophe that ends up being a victory. In the midst of the catastrophe, there's good news. I think that's what joy does, isn't it? Spiritual writer. Here, folks, I got this. Listen to this. Spiritual writer Stephen Mitchell once described holy joy as something that is so large that you no long, that it is no longer inside of you, but you are inside of it. They probably wrote that wrong. It's probably Stefan Mitchell, I think. I don't think. I'll have to talk to Stephen. There, there is a spiritual writer called Stephen Mitchell. I don't know if it's the Stephen Mitchell that we have on staff. How's our joy level? How are we doing in the joy part? There's a... Uh, a story that kind of brought it home to me and, and I kind of have it slotted for a sermon. So you might hear this illustration again. So if you want to hear the sermon during uh, illustration during a sermon, plug your ears. But you won't because it's such a good story that you'll want to hear it again. Max Lucado, who I love as a, an author, a tremendous author, um, said, I got into biking. I really, really enjoyed 
the idea of going and just kind of riding and seeing the community and, uh, and uh, you know, just the whole idea. And he says, it got to the point where I got all the, the gear and everything and, and, and I began to be quite avid in it and said, all of a sudden there was a guy in the church who said, you know what, I can teach you how to be a good biker. I'll give you lots of advice. I'll tell you what to do, how to do it. And uh, so he said, so I ended up buying a bike, a good bike. And then we're getting those shoes that are clip-on shoes. You know, they didn't have pedals. What happens is the, you, have, you have shoes that clip on so that your shoes actually are the pedal itself. And he said, I got, I got these because then I can push down and I can pull up with it. And, and all of a sudden, I had to get these gadgets. I had to get a, a speedometer to find out how, ba- how fast I was going. And, and I needed a, a, a something that, that regulated, regulated uh, my... Uh, Oh, I'm trying to remember what it's called. The pace at which I, the, my cadence is the term. So a cadence, a, a biker should be having a cadence of 90 revolutions per minute. Why? Why is that? Well, because skeletal muscle recovers faster, sorry, cardio muscle recovers faster than skeletal muscle. So if you pedal fast, then you use your heart as opposed to your leg uh, muscles. There you go. You found something. Something. This is educational for you folks. You're welcome. And I had to. I had to get a heart monitor as well, another gauge, and then I had to get a gauge which was kind of measuring the incline uh, that I was on. And then he basically said, "Listen, you need to get music. Okay, you need to get some headphones. You need to get some music." And and he says, "It's best to have hard rock music because that just kind of increases your adrenaline and allows you to ride a lot faster." And he said, "He said I just became a biker and 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 did all the biking things that that, that you're supposed to do." He says, and then all of a sudden I wrecked my bike. I couldn't ride anymore. So he said, so I borrowed a friend's bike. And um, it didn't have any gadgets. And for some reason, I didn't bring my headphones. I didn't listen to the music. And he said, I fell in love with biking again. Just to get on and to ride and to feel the wind and to and to enjoy the exhilaration of riding a bike. And then he said something that punched me in the nose. He says, you ever think that churches like that, sometimes our spiritual life gets like that? Well, it's about the numbers, and it's, a, it's about the offering, and it's about the budget, and it's about how do we grow, and it's, it's about all of these things, and you get so concerned about all these matters in our life. You get so caught up with gadgets, things in our life, that we lose the joy. It's about the Holy Spirit moving in our lives, doing the deeper things every day. The Holy Spirit cultivating it in us. It's not acting. It's saying, Holy Spirit, help me to be a person of joy. Let that thing rise up in me to make a difference. God, I pray that you move by your spirit. I pray, Father, that you do something real in our lives. Allow the joy of the Lord to be our strength. I don't know what everybody's going through. I don't know what level of despondency or or pressure that they are under. 
in the midst of the time that we are, I know that there are some people who are obviously carrying burdens. But despite the fact that we have burdens, we have joy. If we see what you are doing, it's not a physiological thing. It is a spiritual thing. It is the power of the Holy Spirit working and moving in our lives. And so, Lord, if we've gotten away from that, I pray somehow you just put our compass back onto you. Allow the presence of the Holy Spirit to move. Allow every single person to leave this place today with joy. Amen.